You're listening to the Paradox Church Podcast. Paradox Church is a Jesus-centered community where our motto is, Come as you are, no perfect people allowed. For more information about our service times, location, and to get connected with us, please visit our website at www.paradoxchurch.com. We hope you enjoy this message. Well, good morning and welcome to Paradox Church Online. We are so glad you're here. Our motto is come as you are, no perfect people allowed. And if you are new with us, we're especially glad that you are joining us and checking out Paradox in Jesus this morning. My name is Dave. I'm one of the pastors here at Paradox, and it's so good to be with you. You are joining us for week five of a series that we've been calling Outside the Box. And throughout this series, we've been looking at the book of Acts. It's the story of the earliest church right after Jesus died and rose again. Uh, the church is going about their business and they're doing it without buildings, without services. And as we're reading their story, we're being invited to make this our story too. We're seeing what it looks like to move from a come and see church to a go and be church. And today, I'm going to be inviting all of us to go and be a voice. And the first step in doing that is for you to use your voice. It's so easy. You can actually invite right now. We would love it so much if you would take just a second to tag someone in this post, share this post, invite somebody to church with you here this morning as we take our morning offering. Now I mentioned, uh, we're so glad that you're here. If you're new, this is the only part of this service that has not been designed with you in mind. This is a time for those that would call Paradox their church home uh, and our mission, their mission to give towards it. Just a few weeks ago, we had something called Pit Stop, which is an, uh, was an opportunity for our whole church to get together and celebrate some of what God is doing and cast vision for what is going to come. And at that meeting, we shared with you about an awesome opportunity that we had right here in Warren, Warren to partner up with an organization called the Frontline Appreciation Group that sets up local churches with local small businesses to show appreciation to those on the front line. And boy, Paradox, did you step up that night we saw over $2,500 come in to go towards that. That is 600 meals. It covers four shifts for Ascension Hospital right here in Warren. And we've been able to partner with two local businesses to get those meals out. And we're just so thankful. Thankful for your partnership. Thankful for your generosity because that's the kind of stuff that we get to see and do when we give. And if you're joining us today and you appreciate what we're doing, we would appreciate your support. You can set that up online by clicking on that link that you see right now, paradoxchurch.com forward slash give. Well, I want to talk to the parents for a second. Uh, I'm a parent. I've been one for nine years now. My oldest daughter is nine. I've got a six-year-old and a four-year-old. And believe it or not, even at those ages, we still say the same phrase that we've been saying for almost a decade now, and it is this. Use your voice. Use your voice because kids seem to make noises. 
when they want something, right? Uh, sometimes they're weird noises. Other times they're extremely irritating noises. Whether they want food or they're having some sort of temper tantrum and just screaming, they make noises and they have to be encouraged to use their voice. But you know what? It's not just kids. In fact, there's a lot of times that I need to use my voice too. Just this past weekend, actually, Mother's Day, believe it or not, I was being the child. I was hurt. And because of that, um, I didn't use my voice. I kind of got into a thing with Gwen, and I, man, I didn't speak up and say what I was thinking, what I was feeling, because we do this. Maybe you're like me in that way. I have this tendency to not use my voice. I shut up. I shut down and I shut people out. And in the process, what I saw was that I did a lot of damage. I was miserable. Uh, People around me were miserable. Nothing changed about the situation or my feelings. The day was in a lot of ways ruined and relationships were ultimately ruined. It's natural for us to not want to use our voice. We just seem to be born that way. And over the past week or so, we've actually come as a culture to another place where there is hurt, where damage has been done, and where there is the potential for more damage to be done. You may have heard of it. It's the case of Ahmad Arbery. It just happened over the course of the last weeks, and people have been really seeing the damage that has been done over the last few months that no one has spoken up. Many have used their voice in the face of this injustice over the last uh, week or so. Many have not. And if we're honest, me even saying this here today brings up a lot in every single one of us. I know it brings up something in me. There's this part of us that doesn't want to use our voice like that. We get defensive. Say, I shouldn't have to use my voice because that's not me. I didn't do that. I am not a racist. Some of us, some of us wouldn't necessarily say this, but ultimately we just don't really care that much. And I mean that to say, you know what? That's just not my problem. That's in the past. That's not real here today. It's made up. Maybe we're even a little bit dismissive when, and, and we say, you know what, I, I care about things, but there's just bigger issues in the world. Other things that I want to lend my, my voice to. Some of us hear this and say, you know what, no, that is way too divisive. Lending our voice into this conversation is never going to go anywhere. It's never going to do anything. So why bother? Some of us We'd love to, love to lend our voice, but we just don't know how. We don't know what to say. Don't feel confident. And whatever the reason, we end up not bringing it up. We don't go there. And the temptation for so many of us, especially in something like this, can be to do exactly what I do so often. Shut up. Shut down. Shut people out and ultimately do more damage. We do damage to ourselves 
when we don't use our voice because we don't have the opportunity to grow, to be shaped, to be challenged into the people that God created us to be. We damage our relationships. We let people down and we miss out on new friendships and relationships. And ultimately, we do damage to the church's reputation and to the cause of Christ in our world. We are not called to silence. There's destruction that happens there. We're called to use our voice because when we do, life happens. Since the beginning of time, God's voice has always brought life. He created the world when he spoke the word. God's voice brings life. And today, I want to challenge every one of us, including me, say, how are we using the voice that God has given us? As we've looked at this outside of the box series and gone through the book of Acts, we see that every time people speak up, when they preach the gospel, when they share their story, we talked about that a little bit a few weeks ago, God's kingdom actually moves forward. And today, I want to challenge us all to lend that voice to justice in the world. We're called to care. Proverbs 31, verse 8 and 9 says this, Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. Ensure justice for those being crushed. Yes, speak up for the poor and the helpless and see that they get their justice. One thing that's apparent to me is that the voices of a vocal minority will always drown out a silent majority. And that's why it's so important that we speak up, that we go be a voice in the world. I believe that most people actually want to use their voice. I know there are all kinds of people and places, news outlets that will say that most people don't care. Most people are bad. Most people are this way or think that way. But I believe that most people want what is right. Most people want to use their voice. We just don't know how. We could be afraid. Maybe we just need a little bit of help. I know that I do. That's what I, would, I want to invite you to pray for me today. See, so I, I am weak. I do fail. And some of these messages you get to give up, up here as a, as a preacher, some you get to approach from this place of confidence, feeling good about the, the amount of work you've done and the place that you're at. Others just force you to go to this place of brokenness, to take a real hard look on the inside. And I want to say I'm learning. I'm in process. And I'm thankful for the friends that God has given me in that and for the grace that they've extended me in that. Today, I come to you not as an expert, not from having arrived, but as a fellow learner. And I'd love to share just a little bit with you about some of what I'm learning. Our series picks up in the book of Acts, chapter 15. And let me tell you, there is some drama going on. There's disagreement happening, yes, even in the Bible. Just to set this up, last week, Holly, our kids' director, talked about Paul and Barnabas 
And there's the, there are these Jewish guys that have come to believe in and follow Jesus. And so they're traveling throughout the ancient Roman Empire, reaching non-Jewish people known as Gentiles. And people are getting saved. Check out what Acts chapter 15 verses 1 verse 1 says. But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Circumcised. Yeah. You can imagine why maybe this wouldn't go over well. You want to know Jesus? Follow me to the operating table. Nuh-uh. Right? And that's exactly what happens. This does not go over well for the Gentile believers, and it doesn't go over well with Paul and Barnabas who are advocating for them and believing in them and reaching them. It's this Jewish initiation ritual. It's, it was how you got in as a Jew, but now there are these adult believers that are coming into the church and saying, really? Are you sure that's what we have to do? Today, though, we, we say some other things. Uh, you know, I, how could you really be a Christian if fill in the blank? Or if, if you really love Jesus, you would do this. Basically, what we often say when it comes to these cultural clashes is that you can't just be like Jesus. Uh, first, you have to be like us. Your culture, not the right way. Ours, better. Good. And the story goes on in Acts chapter 15, verse 2. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. No small dissension. There's disagreement. There's debate. People are getting a little loud. They're getting vocal. That's, that's supposed to be a bad thing, right? I mean, aren't I supposed to stand up here and say, no, that's exactly what we don't do as followers of Jesus. But sadly, it's all too familiar. I mean, we see it every single week, every day. When we log into our social media accounts, you will, you're always privy to a public Facebook debate where things are getting said back and forth. No one's listening and the end goal is always achieved, right? Wrong. People get blocked, relationships get ruined, and no one's mind is changed. That is pointless. But it's not the voice that's the problem. See, God is going to be doing something in this situation. And I want to focus in on exactly how he's going to be doing it. Because if we're going to be using our voice to bring life and not destruction, first, we have to take one very important step. And it's this. We have to stop. Paul and Barnabas, they're busy guys. They're not sitting around on Facebook. They're not playing video games. No, they're 300 miles away from the people that they're debating with, making converts and starting churches. Just for a little perspective, for them to get to Jerusalem, 
where the other believers are would mean if they traveled about 20 miles a day, which is pretty reasonable for a Jew in that time, it would be a 15-day journey. There's distance between them and in more ways than one. And when there's distance between us and other people, it requires us to do exactly what Paul and Barnabas did. They stop. Sometimes Gwen, my wife, and I, uh, Gwen is my wife. That sounded like I have Gwen, my wife, and I. No, sometimes my wife Gwen and I um, will say this to each other. You know, I, I feel far from you. And usually what that means is not that we are geographically distant. No, it could be that we are in a fight or, or maybe we've just been really, really busy and we haven't had any time to stop and connect, but it's an indication of relational distance between us. And when that happens, when we say that, we recognize we need to stop. Because stopping is a recognition that we have something important to tend to. We need to remove this space between us somehow. We want to put time on the calendar to do that. We want to make sure that we have a date night. Or just recently, we even talked about having, you know what, what if we, there were 15 to 30 minutes after the kids go to bed where we just stop, don't turn on the TV, look in each other's eyes, and reconnect. We need to stop. Because when we do, it forces us to connect with each other. Ask, how was your day? What's on your heart? Stopping communicates importance. I mean, just think of the way that life stops whenever anything of importance happens. You could look at the past few months in COVID-19 and just how much our life has come to a stop because something important is going on. And Paul and Barnabas stop what they're doing to attend to this. And God has actually given us a built-in stop in our life. Believe it or not, it's called prayer. That's prayer. 1 Thessalonians 5, 17 says to pray without ceasing. Other translations put it like this, pray continuously, not constantly, but regularly. It's, it's like a to-be-continued kind of thing in a TV show where the, the show doesn't continue on nonstop forever. No, there are pauses, but it returns, and it keeps on coming back, and there's a regularity to it. That is what praying continuously does. It's a regular pause in our life to attend to what's really important amidst everything else that's going on. We pray for what's really important to us. Honestly, if I were to look at a transcript of your prayers over the last 30 days, what would it say about what is most important to you? We pray about the things that are most important to us, but there's a flip side to that. What we pray for becomes important to us too. There's a certain passion that comes from prayer. The more we go back to it, the more it rises up in our heart and we want to see it. We want it to happen. We will consistently and regularly go back to God in prayer for the things that are really 
important to us. And the more we do it, the more important those things become. There's a reason why it's hard for husbands and wives to pray together. I talk to so many of you, and you know what? It's hard for all of us. There's a reason for that. There's a reason that Jesus says to pray for your enemies. Why? Because it's hard to hate the people that you're praying for. It's hard to be angry. It's hard to continue to live in sin. It's hard to hold on to offense. Well, at the same time, you're folding your hands in prayer. Now, prayer does something. Prayer moves our heart. It moves us from offense. It moves us to a place of, of seeing things as an issue to a place of humanity. So many times things happen in our world, in our lives, and we don't stop. We skip right over it and we go to debate. We go to offense. We go to anger. And instead of the issue becoming about people, about loss, about humanity, it becomes about gun control or race or polit political allegiances and parties. You know, I think there might even be a reason why political parties are sometimes represented by animals. Prayer, on the other hand, that restores humanity. It restores importance to things. You begin to care about what God cares about. And I want to ask us, what if we committed to prayer for this? There's a whole lot of different tools that you can use. A whole bunch of them are listed on the field guide that we are attaching to this service. But there's a, an app called the Pause app. You can pray on our YouVersion app that hopefully you've already downloaded to your phone. You can join us on Wednesday mornings at the House of Prayer. You could even, when you're scrolling through your social feed or reading the news in the morning, pause to pray about every single one of those things. Whatever it looks like, I want to encourage us all to stop. And when you do, to use your voice to pray. But we can't just kneel. We also have to stand up. And in Acts 15, verse 6 and 7, Peter takes a stand. The apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you, and that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. Peter stood up. Have you ever taken a, uh, taken a stand before? Maybe you did it this way. You ever stood up in someone's wedding? That's not just an uncomfortable way to watch a wedding ceremony. No, standing up says something. Standing up is actually about seeing. It's about you seeing them. And in doing so, you communicate importance, value, and acknowledgement of relationship. But it's also about you being seen. It's, it's an acknowledgement that you're in relationship together. Maybe this is why many of my girlfriends didn't want to be seen with me growing up, right? We struggle with that, though. We think we're not supposed to be seen. 
when we're following Jesus. But we often confuse doing something to be seen with being seen doing something. The difference is motivation. And it's so important. When we're willing to be seen, that's about your importance. But when we are wanting to be seen, ultimately, it's about my importance. Standing up means we're willing to be seen. We identify ourselves with someone. I love how in verse 11 of this same chapter, Peter says that we made no distinction between us and the Gentiles. We identified fully and completely with them. Here at Paradox, we say it this way. We are the they. There's no us and them. We are one. Philippians 2, Jesus actually does this for us. It says that he took on our likeness. He became one of us. He stood with us by identifying with us. Standing up always does that. It communicates we value someone by identifying ourselves with them. But it's about more than just saying that to other people. It's about more than being seen with others. Ultimately, standing up is about being seen by God. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5 says it this way. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes. Who will bring light? The things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. So much of standing up is actually about being seen. Being seen as, as a person who cares. Being seen as somebody who's woke. Not being seen as someone who is racist. Trying to prove ourselves to other people. That's not the right motivation. When we stand up, it's because we're called to take a stand and be seen by God. That is what we're doing when we take a stand. It's not about being seen. It's about taking a stand and being seen by God first. Because a day is coming when our name will be called. And we will be called not just to take a stand, but to take the stand. And every single one of us is going to be judged, not just on everything that we did, but on everything that we were called to do, on everything that we did not do, and everything and everyone that we passed by and looked the other way. When we stand up for the poor, when we stand up for the marginalized and the oppressed, we do it because one day we will stand up before God. And sometimes, sometimes the person that we need to stand up to is actually ourselves. It's our thoughts. We need to take a stand in our own mind and in our own heart. The Bible says it many different ways. 
Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Luke 6, verse 45. We're transformed by the renewing of our mind. Romans 12, 2. We are to take every thought captive. 2 Corinthians 10, verse 5. What does all of that actually mean? It means that one of the most important places that we can take a stand is inside of our own mind and heart. Our thoughts. Those things that pop up in your mind. Where did that come from? I want to encourage us to question those things. Choose not to believe the thoughts because they are not all from you. Choose the truth instead. Take a stand inside of your own mind and in your own heart. Sometimes it can be hard to see ourselves accurately, though. So we might also need some friends who are willing to stand up to us. Do you have anybody like that? Or do you just live in an echo chamber? The TV you watch, the things you listen to, the people that you surround yourselves with. Do they look like you, think like you, act like you, talk like you, believe like you? Do you have people close to you that you trust? I'm thankful for some of those people in my own life. I'm thankful for Juwan and Jessica Glenn, our our worship pastors at at the church that we started a few years back. They've gone on to start a church in Detroit. And as we worked together, I remember one time in particular when Jessica pulled me aside so personally, so graciously, so lovingly, and loved me enough to challenge me. That changed my life. My friends, Greg and Hillary, Pastor Greg, you know him from here at Paradox. I remember another time when he pulled me aside and and said, hey, that one comment that you made, it's kind of something different. And there was no offense. There was no anger. There was no shame. I wasn't canceled. Our relationship wasn't discarded. Hillary's done the same thing. And I'm so thankful for for each of them because they love me, but they love Jesus more. And they're willing to lovingly, graciously, respectfully pull me aside and stand up to me. But there will also be times when you'll have to take a stand and it won't be quite as welcomed. You'll have to do it with people that are close to you. You have to have those personal conversations. And it's times like when you see or hear something around a dinner table at a family gathering. You're joking around with friends and you know it's not right. Those are the times when you're moved to speak out. And in Acts 15, verse 12 and 13, James is moved to speak out. Here's what he says. And all the assembly fell silent, and they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. After they finished speaking, James replied, Brothers, listen to me. You know what I love about this? This verse ends with speaking out, but it actually begins with silence. I just want to invite the kids to put on on their earmuffs right now. Because sometimes you have to shut up before you can speak out. And that's something that I've often learned the hard way. 
But perhaps this is where James, who later on would write a book of the Bible called James, maybe that is exactly where he learned this when he wrote in James 1.19, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Now I know, right? I just said there's times when you have to speak up, and now I'm saying No, don't do that. There's an order to this. How are we supposed to speak up? I want us to see this as more of an invitation than a challenge. Because a whole lot of us would say, I want to speak up, but I don't know what to say. I don't know how I would say it. And I want to encourage every one of us to do something when we think and feel that. Ask. Ask. Because using our voice doesn't always mean making a statement. Most people of color that, that I know actually really appreciate being asked. And in a lot of ways, I've found that out because many times I haven't. Being asked questions like, how are you doing? What, what do you think about this. Do you have any experiences with it? How is this making you feel? And this is different than asking somebody to explain something to you. No, we're, we're asking for something more personal. What I mean by, by speaking out and asking is asking to hear someone's story. I love what moved James to speak in the first place. They're sitting together, gathered in the same place, listening to Paul and Barnabas share stories about their friends. Stories of life change, stories of experience, things that they've seen God do, forged in fire, formed in friendship. Comes through in story. Story moves the conversation from theory and idea or politics or or even theology at times to something personal. When we ask people to share their story, it it has the opportunity to become part of our story too. And we invite their problem to actually become our problem. And that doesn't mean, see, we we hear that, right? We, We take on other people's problems what we're afraid of and sometimes what we hear in that is that that somehow means that we personally created the problem. Listen to what Acts 15 verse 24 says about that very thing. Since we have heard that some persons have gone out from us and troubled you with words, unsettling your minds, although we gave them no instructions. Some people. We didn't even tell them to do it. We don't even know what they're saying or where it came from. But here they are, standing up, speaking out, owning the problem. When when we invite somebody to share their story and for their problem to become our problem, it means we're willing to take responsibility for it. If you have kids, you get this. Just recently, 
Our kids are playing right next to our, our, our house and they're picking up the rocks, which we've told them a million times not to do. And what's a fun thing to do with rocks, but to put them down the neighbor's furnace pipe. Bad idea. A few hundred dollars in bill later, we had a conversation with our kids and said, listen, this is costing a lot more money than you have. And you're gonna, you're gonna pay for a little bit of it. But mostly, mommy and daddy are gonna pay. And we're happy to do it because we love you. We're responsible for you. And we're going to take on your problem because that is exactly what Jesus does for us. Isaiah 53 verse five says it this way. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. Jesus owned our problem. And in doing so, he demonstrated love. And if that's a love that you've never known before, if you have problems that you're facing in life, I wanna invite you right now to respond to what Jesus is doing. He's already paid it. He's taken those problems from you. He paid the price and offered you his life, his love, his healing, and his acceptance in their place. He laid down his life for his friends. He demonstrated love. Would you let us know if today is the first time or the first time in a long time that you have started a relationship with Jesus by accepting his payment on your behalf? his ownership of our issues. That's love. He says, greater love has no, man, no one than this, then he would lay down his life for his friends. See, love requires demonstration and action. It's actually the thing that speaks louder than words. Action. Action requires us to love, which always costs us something. And in order to do that, will need to spend some time. The story wraps up in Acts 15, verse 30 to 34. So when they were sent off, they went down to Antioch, and having gathered the congregation together, they delivered the letter. And when they had read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. And Judas and Silas, who were themselves prophets, encouraged and strengthened the brothers with many words. And after they had spent some time, they were sent off in peace by the brothers to those who had sent them. So they're sent off. You remember that journey that we talked about? The 300-mile, 15-day journey? Yeah, that's the one. That's, that's the one that some were sent to go on with Paul and Barnabas. Verse 35 actually says that Paul and Barnabas would stay there. And in verse 34, we see that some of these men that were sent to go that distance didn't stay. They returned after spending some time there. It's a long way. Paul and Barnabas would stay, but these guys would come back, meaning that's a round trip, 600 miles. 30 days. You got to ask, why? Why would they go all that way? Why would they be willing to put in that kind of time 
that kind of effort? Well, let's find out. Acts 15, verse 25 to 27 says, It has seemed good to us, having come to one accord, to choose men and send them to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul. Men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who themselves will tell you the same things by word of mouth. Let that sink in for a second. They will tell you the same things. This, this is the original. Could have been an email right? But there's something that's missing when it, couldn't have, when it just could have been an email, were it just a letter. Because those things are just about the words. And remember, we're talking about spending time, which is about action. It's about the time. Because when we spend time, it's relational. It's real. It requires something from us. There's a cost. That's why we call it spending. There's blood. There's sweat. There's tears. There's work. These guys spent the time. These guys went the distance. And I want to say, again, if I haven't already been clear, these guys went the distance. I am not speaking today from a place of having arrived. I don't believe our church has arrived in this issue. And you know what? I'm finding a lot of freedom in saying I haven't arrived, and that's okay. I, I know that our church is not the place where we want to be, where we see us going. But you know what? We're committed. I'm committed. We are committed to this journey. We're committed to going the distance, even though we may only find ourselves on those first few steps. I want to ask you, if you're watching this today, are you willing to go the distance with us for others? Are you willing to take a step? Are you willing to invest some time? If you are, I want to encourage you, click on that field guide. This is not the entirety of what it looks like to use your voice. But they are some good first steps. And if you're willing to take them, we would love for you to take those steps with us as we travel down this road, as we go the distance to being a church that is committed to seeing every tribe, every tongue, every people group worshiping Jesus together on earth as it is in heaven. Because when we use our voice, when we go and be a voice, I want to share with you what happens. Acts 15 verse 31 says that when these men had read the letter, the Gentiles rejoiced because of its encouragement. How much longer do we have to be a frustration to people? And when could we start to strengthen to settle minds, to be a support, to be an encouragement, and to bring joy. What if people would rejoice because we were willing to use our voice? We 
can be someone's reason to sing. And as the band prepares to sing this, these last few songs together, I want to invite you, maybe today what you need to do is use your voice to pray with someone. Someone would be happy, willing to pray with you as you call out to God, perhaps for the first time, or as you vocalize some of the things that you've been holding on to inside. Use your voice today. We would love to pray with you. You can text PRAY to the number on your screen and someone will reach out to you personally. If you'd rather, you could keep that on text as well. But we'd be, we would love to pray with you today if you'll use your voice to ask. Before we close today though, I wanna invite us to do one final thing. Would you stop what you're doing? Would you stand up with me? And would you speak out this prayer as we make it our prayer today? Lord, I know that every person is an image bearer of the God I worship. Therefore, please empower me to joyfully extend my love to every person, regardless of color, culture, gender, or ethnicity, whether in my home, my school, my community, or my church. I need your help, God, to promote a culture that values and celebrates diversity. And by your grace, Jesus, I will follow your lead and dedicate myself to a lifestyle of honor, radical love, humility, and action. In Jesus' name, amen. You're listening to the Paradox Church Podcast. Paradox Church is a Jesus-centered community where our motto is, Come as you are, no perfect people allowed. For more information about our service times, location, and to get connected with us, please visit our website at www.paradoxchurch.com. We hope you enjoy this message.